my name is Becca, and for those of you that don't know me, I get the privilege of serving as the student ministries pastor here at YZ. So normally, uh, when I'm speaking, normally when I'm speaking, it's to middle school or high school students. Uh, but I'm just so honored to share with you today. Now we're in the series called Thinking Young, and I was asked to talk about David. And so I don't know if you know this, but David's kind of a big character in scripture. Uh, so I'm not going to get to everything about his life. There's so many things that I could share. Uh, but as I've been praying and preparing this message, I've just been asking the Lord, what do you want us to learn about David? And so I'm just so excited for what he's going to teach us, what he's going to teach me as we look at his life today. So I'm going to pray to start us off and then we can jump right in. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that whatever we came into this room with, whether it was excitement and joy, God, or if there are really hard things going on in our life, that you meet us right where we're at. So I pray today as we look at David's life, God, that you would just be teaching us what you want us to hear, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you want us to know. I pray that every word that I say, God, is from you. And all the ones that aren't, that those would just fall away. But God, that we would just hear and experience you today. In all these things, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Now, some of you in this room I know are kids. But for all of us, I want you to think back to when you were a kid and how you put your all into everything that you did. Whether it was you were at uh, the store and you wanted a candy bar and you were just begging your mom, having a temper tantrum to get what you wanted. Or if it was something maybe a little more positive, like you were at recess and you're playing hot lava tag with your friends, you gave that game your everything. Whatever it is, as a child, when you do something or want something, you do it with everything that you have with all that you are, and you believe in it, and you follow through with it, with your whole heart. Now, for better or worse, as we get older, we kind of start to lose that passion and determination. It comes more naturally to youth, but as we age, we start to think more rationally, or we hold back a little, and potentially lose that all-or-nothing, wholehearted pursuit of what we desire. But God doesn't want us to lose that. Maybe the temper tantrum part. But God doesn't want us to lose that wholehearted passion we once had. As I already mentioned, today we're going to be looking at David. And what I think is so cool about David's life is that this all-out, wholehearted passion and pursuit of God is what defined his life. It's the legacy that he left. And we see this throughout his life, from his time as a shepherd to his battle with Goliath to his time as king. But God identifies David as a man after his own heart. And there's a couple specific passages that talk about this, and I want to share one. Uh, this is Acts 13, 21, uh, verses 21 and 22. And in this passage, Paul is sharing with the Christians in Pisidian Antioch, and he's encouraging them, he's sharing some of the history of God's people. And this is what Paul says. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled forty years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. So this morning, I want to ask you all a question. What are the giants that you're facing in your life? Because giants cannot be defeated with a half heart. And David knew that in his life. He fought the giants in his life with a whole heart. And so we're going to talk about David, but before we specifically look at some of the details of his life, I think it's important for us to take a step back and kind of dive deeper into what this concept of heart means. Now I geek out on this stuff, looking at the Greek and the Hebrew and all the nitty gritty things, and I'm not going to share all of the terminology that I found. But if I could sum up what heart means in scripture, heart is the essence of who we are. It is the center of our whole being. Everything we do and everything we are flows from our heart. So in other words, when we want to seek God with our whole heart, we are saying, Jesus, you are all I want, all I need. My life is fully yours. And this is the starting place that we have to be in order to defeat giants. And so today we're going to look at what David faced, and again, he faced lots of things, but there are three main giants that I want to cover. The first one that I think David, uh, we see David at battle with is the giant of loneliness. Now, I don't know with everyone in this room exactly where you're at when it comes to loneliness, if you've experienced it in your past, or maybe you come into this room today with the weight of loneliness on your heart. I know for some of you students, you have sent off older siblings to college, and that's a big transition, that's a big change, and so that can kind of create that feeling of loneliness in your life or in your family. Maybe some of you have lost a friend, or you're struggling with singleness, or you're divorced, whatever's the cause, all of us have experienced loneliness in our life, and if we haven't yet, we will someday. But we can learn a lot from how David dealt with this in his life. And I think we see this struggle for him, uh, mainly and first of all, in his early years as a shepherd. So let's take a look at David's life during that time. Now for a little background, some of you know this, but David was the son of Jesse, and he was the youngest of eight boys. Now how many of you in this room are eldest children like me? Anyone, anyone? Lots of you. All right, so we obviously know that that is the greatest place in the birth order of kids. Um, (laughs) But whether you're the oldest or the youngest or in the middle, I mean, can you imagine being the youngest of eight boys? Yikes. But that's what David was. He was the youngest of eight kids, and he was a shepherd. That was kind of his role in the family. And as a shepherd, David spent most of his time alone. Now, by nature, I'm an introvert, and I love some good quality alone time, but I can't imagine spending hours and hours, day in and day out, alone with a bunch of sheep. And David could have wallowed in that, wallowed in self-pity, but instead, he chose to develop his relationship with the Lord. He trusted in God's love through his loneliness. You see, as he was tending sheep, he spent a lot of time outside, and his time outside would have brought to his attention the greatness of God. I mean, can you imagine the things that David saw? The sky, the stars, the fields, all of God's creation that he was surrounded by every day. And I think as he saw these things, it would have been easy for him to feel small 
or lonely or insignificant. But the thing that David knew that's true for all of us is that even though he worshipped a great big God, this God loved him and saw him and knew every detail of his life. And we see this in a lot of the Psalms, and I want to share one. It's Psalm 8, verses 1, 3, and 4. David's writing this Psalm, and he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And I love how that passage flows. David first looks to the Lord and is speaking about his incredibleness, his amazing qualities. And then he acknowledges that in all of God's greatness, he still considers us. He still loves us and cares about us deeply. For most of David's life, God was his only companion. And as David trusted in God's love, God became his closest friend. And so I don't think it's that much of a surprise that when we look at the Psalms, we see the depth of relationship that David has with God. Not only do we see the deep joy and wonder and awe he had of the Father, but we also see the raw pain and struggle and pleads David has with the Lord. But in the midst of all of his life circumstances and emotions— David looks to God for the answers. He looks to God for joy and hope and deliverance. So as most of you know or can tell from the lack of a ring on my left hand, I am not married. I am single. And to be completely honest with you, uh, that has been a big struggle in my life, and particularly when it comes to the struggle of loneliness. Because you see, uh, me, like many young women, had this ideal picture in my head that I was going to meet the perfect man in college, be married by age 23, and have beautiful babies by the age of 50. That part, <laughs> that part I'm not as much in a rush for. <laughs> but all joking aside, singleness and loneliness has been a reoccurring struggle in my life. Now, I want to make a quick side note for those of you that are already scheming and already thinking of who you can set me up with. I do have a boyfriend, and we're happily dating, so I'm all good on that front. Uh, But I do want to just say, for those of you in this room who are single, whether it's because you haven't gotten married yet, or you're divorced, or you're widowed, I just want you to know that I see you, and I feel for you, but more importantly, God sees you. And he knows you. And he sees and knows those unmet desires, those unfulfilled expectations. And he's not afraid of them. But he wants to meet you in them. So through my struggles with singleness and loneliness, uh, I have had some things that have really helped me out when it comes to trusting in God's love. And so for any of you, whether you do struggle or you're single or not, um, we all have experienced loneliness. So I want to share some of these things with you. The first thing is have daily practices in your life where you are spending one-on-one time with God. Because that will not only, like David Experience that will not only increase your view of who God is, but will, it will also increase your view of God's love for you. I know in my struggles, particularly with loneliness, it has really 
left me trusting in God's faithfulness and in God's love because his love is the love that never fails. And I know his love is greater than any love that I could experience on this earth. And God may be using your loneliness to draw you closer to himself. Second thing is let yourself feel and be honest with God. In my own life, it's really helped that I can be completely honest with the Lord about the things I'm going through, especially when it comes to loneliness. So don't hold back those deep desires, those deep longings, those unmet expectations you have. Because first of all, God already knows. And second of all, God cares about them. And he cares about you. And then the third thing is, although spending time alone with the Lord, being honest with him is critically important, it's also important for us to have community around us. So be intentional with the community around you. God didn't create us to experience this life on our own as humans. And I know I have found building a community around me has been so important for people to really know me and to walk alongside me in my life. And a quick plug, our small groups here at Wayzata are a great place to do that. But however you find it, be intentional about the community around you. And I know it takes courage and vulnerability to step out and do that, but it is so worth it. So David experienced this giant of loneliness. And the second giant I think he experienced in his life is the giant of inadequacy. I already mentioned I work with the students here at Wyzetta, and it's awesome. I love what I do. And a few weeks ago, we took some of our students, some of our leaders, and myself on an adventure trip. And basically, this means we canoed. There's a picture for you up there. there basically, this means we canoed, we camped, we did all of the outdoorsy things. And I had some experience with this, uh, with trips in the past, but boy, I was not ready for the physical or mental challenges this trip was going to entail. Our first portage uh, that we had to take was almost a mile long. And we had quite a few things, not just seven aluminum canoes that we had to carry, but we had these huge packs that had our clothes, our supplies, our food, our cooking equipment, and we had to bring this all the way through this portage. And I don't know how many of you have carried 50 to 60 pounds on your back for almost a mile, but it is not easy. And so many of our students were rock stars. They were picking things up and just going for it. And so, you know, being the leader set a good example. So I grab a pack, buckle it in, start going, and I get about 30 feet. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I cannot do this thing. And so through that trek, every single step that I took felt like a victory. And finally, what felt like hours and hours later, I saw some students ahead, I saw that next body of water, and I knew I had made it. Now this might not have been difficult for some of you, but for a smaller young woman like myself, this felt like an absolute miracle. That I went this whole way, I didn't give up, I didn't stop, I didn't put my pack down. And as I thought about it that night in my tent, rubbing my sore shoulders, I thought to myself, how many times do I limit myself? Or more importantly, how many times do I limit what God can do in and through me because I feel 
inadequate. And maybe you've experienced that in your life where you've limited yourself because of that giant of inadequacy. Well, David encountered this giant in his life, but what's cool about his story is that he trusted in God's ability to work in and through him. One example of this is his battle against Goliath. So let's turn to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to look at the story. There's a lot there, a lot of scripture, so I'm not going to read everything word for word, but hang in there with me. So the chapter starts off, and it starts off sharing that the Philistines are gathering their armies for battle against the Israelite army. And they have kind of this sort of secret weapon. His name is Goliath, and actually he wasn't so secret. He was a well-known champion in their army. But he was six cubits tall, which is about nine feet. So just a giant of a guy. And he comes up to the Israelite army and he challenges them, saying, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And when Saul and the Israel army saw this and saw him, they were greatly afraid. And while this battle is going on, David comes into the picture here. While this battle is going on, David's helping his father, doing some shepherdy things. And his dad asks him to bring some rations, some food to his brothers on the battlefield. And so David goes, and while he's there, he sees Goliath do this. He sees him challenge the Israelites. And David says this in verse 26. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you to think back to that big view of God that David had. That deep relationship and trust in God's love. Because from his time as a shepherd... From his moments with the Lord, he has this mindset where he sees God as great. And I think it shows up in this story. Because David's like, who the heck is this guy coming up against the army of the living God? David knows God so deeply that he sees God as more powerful than any giant. And no one comes against or disgraces his God or his people. And so David's fired up. He wants to defend God's honor. And so he goes to Saul and he tells him, hey, I can do this. I can defeat him. And Saul kind of doubts him, but David's reassuring. And he says, you know, as my time as a shepherd, I killed lions and bears and wolves and all these things. So killing this Philistine dude is no big deal. God has already equipped me to do this. So in the next few verses, uh, Saul says, okay, he tries to fit David for battle. So he puts him in all this armor. He gives him a sword, but it's heavy and awkward, and David's not used to it. So he takes it off. And what David does next is he takes his sling and some stones from the stream, and he heads out towards Goliath. And Goliath looks him over. He sees that he's just a boy, and he starts mocking him. And this is how David responds to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. 
and he will give all of you into our hands. So I don't know about you, but when I read this, I don't sense much doubt in David's mind about his ability to defeat Goliath. He seems to have the utmost confidence. And not only does he have confidence in himself, but more importantly, he has confidence in God and in God's ability to use him. So let's take a look at what happens next. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So David kills Goliath. He defeats the giant. And killing Goliath was no small task. He was huge and intimidating. But David was really made for this moment. He was fulfilling a God-given purpose and God-given skills that God had already been preparing him for. I listened to a TED Talk by author and speaker Malcolm Gladwell, and he was talking about the skills of people in that day that used a sling. And I found this fascinating, so I wanted to share it. And this is what he said. They were called slingers, and the slings they used were not like what we might have in our minds. It wasn't a slingshot. But a slinger is someone who has a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it. And they put a projectile in the pouch, like a large rock or lead ball, and they whirl it around and they let one of the cords go. And the effect is to send the projectile forward towards its target. And so that's what David has. He doesn't have a child's toy, but in fact has an incredibly powerful weapon in his possession and skill set to use. And when David is whirling the cords around, it's going so fast that when that rock is released, it's going around 35 meters per second, which is substantially faster than a baseball thrown by a professional pitcher. And if you look at historical records, it shows that experienced slingers could hit or even kill something at a distance of up to 200 yards. They were incredibly accurate. They could hit birds in flight. So when David approaches Goliath... He has every intention and expectation to kill him. He spent his entire career up to this point being prepared to do this. And so again, it was a huge victory for David to kill Goliath, but I think the victory is not just that he killed him, but it's that he trusted that God had already prepared him, already given him the skills to do this. And so maybe in your life, the giant that you're facing, that you think feels so scary and powerful and intimidating, actually is much less scary, powerful, intimidating than you think. And God is and has prepared you to defeat it. Now, I've never had to face a literal giant in my life like David, but I faced this giant of inadequacy many times. I don't know if it's because I have Achiever as my top strength on the Strengths Finder assessment, or if it's because I'm a one on the Enneagram, or if it's because I'm an eldest child. Probably a combination of all those things. 
but I've struggled with this giant of inadequacy a lot. And one particular way where it's shown up, actually, is my call to ministry. I remember when God, when I felt God first calling me into ministry as a career, I was like, okay, I don't really know what you're thinking. Because the first obstacle that I had was that most pastors and leaders that I saw were men. And that's awesome. They were great people. But it's really hard to be what you can't see. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was that all of the ministry people I knew, especially youth ministry, were like super flamboyant and outgoing and life of the party type of people. And that's not who I am. So I was like, okay, God, I don't know who you're calling me to be or what you're calling me to do. I'm not enough to do this. And it took a lot of wrestling, a lot of conversations with the Lord, a lot of other people speaking into my life and into my giftings for me to be able to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust in your ability to work in and through me. And I still have to do that. I still have to trust God to be able to equip me to do the things he's called me to. So I don't know what that giant of inadequacy might look like for you. Maybe it's the doubt that you're not enough as a parent or a spouse or a son or daughter or student or businessman or woman. We all at times feel inadequate. But the amazing thing that I've learned is that we don't have to rely on ourselves to be adequate because God is our adequacy. And he gives us the ability, the equipping, even the resources to do the things he's called us to. And I bet he's prepared you for something. And if he's calling you to it, you need to trust that he has equipped you to do it. And so maybe today that means you decide in your heart that you're going to step out and trust that. So we've looked at David's life as a shepherd, that giant of loneliness, his battle with Goliath, the giant of inadequacy. And the last one I want to touch on is his time as king. But more specifically, his time before he actually became king and the giant of insignificance. Something that we don't always talk about a lot is that David was officially chosen and anointed as king when he was just a boy, just a teenager. But he didn't actually become king until he was 30 years old. And so not only did it take a long time to see God's promise fulfilled, but in that waiting time, which was 10 plus years, many of those years were spent in the wilderness. They were spent suffering. They were spent literally running from his, for his life. And so I can only imagine David's battle against this feeling of my life has no meaning or purpose right now. He's probably thinking, God, you've created me for so much more than this. Don't you care about me? Did you forget me? And we see this honest and raw struggle he has, again, in a lot of the Psalms. One that I want to share is Psalm 13, verses 1 to 2. David's crying out to God, and he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever felt like that? Like God promised you something or said you were going to do something and it just felt impossible in that waiting time. 
In David's life, God was preparing him for something before it came to fulfillment. And that's what God does a lot in our lives. A lot of what he is doing, we can't even see at the time. In the first passage I shared today, where Paul is talking to the believers in Antioch, and he's sharing about David's legacy, the very next verse says this. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And many of us know this, that Jesus came from the line of David, but I want you to really think about it. Not only was David king of Israel, but David's great, 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 missing a lot of greats, great, great granddaughter gave birth to the Savior of the world. And even in the waiting and the struggle and the not yet seasons of David's life, he lived into his significance and purpose. And because he trusted in God's promises before he saw them fulfilled, Jesus, the savior of the world, is born from his line of descendants. In the present moment, you may feel insignificant, but you don't know what God has in store right now and in your future. So trust in God's promises. One of the big reasons that I went into youth ministry uh, was my youth pastor. He challenged me. He spoke truth into my life. He encouraged me in my callings and my giftings. And that's one of the big reasons I'm here today. And I hope to have that impact on students. And some of you in this room are youth leaders, or you work with our kids here, or you're a literal or figurative parent or grandparent or mentor to someone. And I just want to say, you probably have no idea the impact that you're having. Whether you see the fruit right now or not, God is using you. You are not insignificant. God wants to use your life to touch others for the sake of his kingdom. So I don't know what giants you're facing. I mentioned three. Maybe they're one of those. Maybe they're not. But what I do know is that God's word tells us that we can defeat giants, and it's with a heart that is fully seeking him. And it doesn't mean we're perfect, because we didn't get to this, but in David's life, he made a lot of mistakes with Bathsheba and Uriah But in all of that mess, in all of those mistakes, God still identifies him as a man after his own heart. So maybe you feel like you've blown it, but I'm here to say that God still has great things in store for you. But the giants that you're facing will not come down with a half heart. You won't be able to step into those great things unless you're wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord. We have one more worship song for you today. And as it plays, I just encourage you to be asking yourself, what will it take for me to be able to say to God, you are all I want, all I need. My heart is fully yours, Jesus.